Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 146 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And on today's episode, we'll start our look at the conference with the largest NFL draft footprint year over year, and that's the SEC. But first, Tony, I quickly alluded to the uncertainty that was brewing around the college football season in last week's intro, and the day that episode got published... We actually got word that the Big Ten would play just its conference schedule in 2020. The Pac-12 announced the same just a day later. And then over the weekend, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said that they were, quote, running out of time, end quote, to play. Besides all that, Tony, what are you hearing about the situation? Really nothing. I I don't know what that means. They're running out of time to play. There's plenty of time to play. They may be running out of time to make a final decision. I I mean, it's going to come down to the wire with when these programs start. There are not too many schools or universities who want to have a, uh, a season next spring. They want to get the season off in the fall. What they really don't want to have is interruptions during the season, although you've got more interruptions in the college season than you do in the NFL season, and, and it's a little bit easier to have an interruption in the college season. I think the, uh, the conferences or, or, or co- teams just playing in-conference games – you know that makes a lot of sense. Teams don't want to uh, don't want to be traveling around. Don't want to be doing unnecessary travel if need be. It's going to be a situation like the NFL, where I, I think with the colleges, you're just going to have to wait uh, until the very end. A little more complex with the colleges because it's a matter of our campus is going to be open. Are you going to bring the other students on the campus? Are you going to be able to segment the football players from the rest of the students on campus? Yeah, I mean, the NFL hasn't necessarily discussed a bubble or anything like that like the NBA is doing, but it is something that, at least in theory, could work, but you can't bubble college campuses. I mean, as you said, you have other students, um, whether it's going to be online learning in the fall or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, teams just want to get camps underway, and, and they want to know what exactly is going on with the season and what exactly they're preparing for. As you said, no one wants to wait until the spring. Not only is that not good for the programs themselves, but it's also not good for the future draft prospects in terms of um, what's going to happen if the NFL would consider pushing back the draft. Obviously, a lot of that depends on the NFL season as well. But I mean, really, just unprecedented times. And you know, certainly, we hope that uh, hope that we get some college football in the fall, so that everything we're we're talking about now doesn't uh, get postponed four or five months. I'd be shocked if the NFL pushes back the draft. I, I mean, if they didn't do it this past April, I don't see them doing it next April. As far as uh, college season getting pushed back, I think what's going to happen is if it gets pushed back too far, you're going to see a lot of the top prospects who are just going to say, you know what, the heck with it. I'm, I'm not playing this season. Could be Trevor Lawrence, could be Justin Fields, Penny Sewell of uh, Oregon. You know, the deeper and deeper, if it gets pushed back, I still think it's going to start 
relatively on time, if not close to being on time, at least some of the conferences. But the further back it gets pushed back, you could find you could see some of the top prospects saying, you know what, I'm not going to play the season. I'm just going to prepare for the draft. I also think it's going to be a regional sort of situation. I've talked about this a couple of times where I think you could have the ACC play this year. They may or may not play with Boston College. I think you'll have the Big Ten play, the Big 12 play, the SEC play. The Pac-12, who knows what's going to happen with them. Could they start in January? It's a possibility. But if they start in January, like I said, some of their top prospects, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon being front and center, probably going to say, you know what? My college career is done. I'm going to get ready to just prepare for the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're getting a lot of diminishing returns because you're either going to play a college season or you're going to go through the pre-draft process. And for a lot of guys that are highly rated, certainly the pre-draft process probably holds a lot more value. Speaking of highly rated draft prospects, the SEC year after year is full of them. Conference had 63 draft picks this past April, including almost half of round one, putting 15 players into the frame. The SEC also had 63 selections in 2019, and 33 of this past year's 63 came from the six schools that we're going to cover on today's episode. We'll hit the other eight programs, which actually accounted for fewer picks on next week's show. But Tony, this is our second conference so far, at least among the big ones, to have the same number of draft picks each of the past two seasons, the first being the ACC. When I asked about the ACC going over or under their number from the past two years, which I believe was 28 off the top of my head, I know you expected more picks for the ACC in 2021. Obviously, that number is a few dozen higher for the SEC, but I'll ask it again. Over or under, both in terms of overall draft picks and first-rounders? I think it's going to be a little bit under because I think some of the uh, uh, programs that really uh, car- or helped carry or added to the SEC last year, Auburn, Florida, LSU to a lesser extent, I think they're going to – They're not. I don't want to say they're going to have down years. Auburn, I think, as far as the NFL draft, it's going to have a down year. They're just not going to be as strong this year. So I'm, I'm going to go with the under on that number. Now, the first team we'll start with, obviously the cream of the crop when it comes to the NFL draft, and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide. Nine players drafted in April, and that's actually Alabama's first season with only a single-digit number of draft picks since 2016, which really tells you everything you need to know about the Crimson Tide program and its draft success. Four first-rounders a few months ago and four more on the 2021 draft board as well. We'll start on offense where senior wide receiver Devontae Smith and senior offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood come with first-round grades, at least on Tony's board. Scouts do come in a bit lower on Leatherwood, and Tony can tell us all about that in just a moment. But back to Smith, who should be the third Alabama receiver over the past two years to go in round one, again, assuming he does declare for the 2021 draft. He's not as fast as Henry Ruggs III. He's not as quick or as sharp out of his routes as Jerry Judy was, but he's a natural receiver with big playability who kind of combines some of the strengths of those two 2019 first-rounders. Smith actually led Alabama in receiving yards and touchdowns last season as well. So even though those other two guys are gone, Smith is definitely a guy that you are more than comfortable with as your number one receiver. His junior running mate, Jalen Waddell, another big play guy, took a bit of a step back as a sophomore, lacks great height, which makes him more of a mid to late day two prospect. But now that he's the undisputed number two receiver, he could end up topping his freshman numbers, which were 45 receptions for 848 yards and seven touchdowns. There is one last skill player to mention on this loaded offense, and that's senior running back Najee Harris. 
Many expected him to declare after last season when he was first eligible, but Harris is a complete back, powerful interior runner, good athleticism as well. I'm sure most have seen him hurdle a defender or two out on the edge, and he's also an excellent receiver. Catches passes like a wideout, can high point the ball, back shoulder patches, everything. Solid in pass protection as well. Really checks out as one of 2021's top-rated runners. You know, as I said in my write-up at Pro Football Network about Najee Harris, he's a first-round prospect that now plays a second-day position. I mean, how many of us thought just a few months ago DeAndre Swift was going to be the first running back selected in the first round, and he wasn't? Harris, to me, is, is just an absolutely complete ball carrier. He, he's got the size and, and the uh, uh, strength to pound it out and grind it out on the inside. He's very quick and, and, uh, and fast for a back that goes 225, 230 pounds so he can turn the corner. As you said, I mean, he is a natural pass catcher, and he is an outstanding blocker as well. Really has a three-down game. Uh, talking with scouts, they grade him anywhere from a mid-second to late third-round choice. I think he's top 42 all day long because of his completeness. But again, you know, I disagree with it, but we've seen the diminishing returns on running backs in the draft, which is going to push him down. The two receivers you talked about, Dylan Moses, um, I'm sorry, uh, Devontae Smith, you know, he's more, he's, he's a sturdier version of Jerry Judy, and he's more reliable, more NFL ready, more plug and play ready than Henry Ruggs. I mean, he was the guy, as you mentioned, the go-to guy last year for Tua when Tua was on the field and even after Tua got hurt. He was the consistent target. He's a guy who runs terrific underneath routes, but he's also a, a significant downfield threat as well, a big play threat. I think he's a first-round choice. I think the faster he runs, the earlier he's going to go. And I think he's a real good receiver in all aspects. Waddle, as you said, took a step back. He was most explosive as a return specialist. I mean, game after game, big returns, returns bringing it back to the end zone. He, he goes about five, nine and a half, 180 pounds. He's got a stout build. As you said, you know, he's going to have to step it up this year. Alex Leatherwood, I have him graded as a first-round choice. I know there. Are, I've talked to some scouts that have him as a mid-first-round choice, and there are others who think he's a fourth-rounder. I think he's a first-round pick all along. I think he's a much more natural fit as a left tackle than Jedrick Wills was a year ago. Wills was more explosive. He was stronger. He was nastier. But when you watch the film as far as pure footwork and the ability to slide laterally, Alex Leatherwood had a significant advantage. I think he is an absolute plug-and-play type guy at left tackle at the next level, which in my opinion anyway – really uh, boosts his draft stock because left tackle is such a priority position as opposed to, say, what Najee Harris uh, may experience at running back. And then the final offensive lineman or the final uh, offensive prospect I've got to point out is their interior offensive lineman, Landon Dickerson, who's more of a third-day pick anywhere mid to late third day. He's a six and a, six foot five and a half inch, 340-pound, uh, basically slug it out, uh, punch-in-the-mouth type of lineman who can play center or guard. Now moving over to the defensive side of the football, where a guy we discussed last season and Tony briefly mentioned accidentally a couple moments ago, leads the way after a lost 2019 season, and that is junior linebacker Dylan Moses. Suffered a preseason knee injury last year, which really cost him his shot at being a high pick in April. But back as a sophomore in 2018, made 86 tackles, 10 for loss, along with three and a half sacks, 
He makes plays in the backfield as well as in pursuit. Shows coverage ability and ball skills as well. And unlike many linebackers that we discuss on this show, run and chase guys, smaller, faster players, he's both big enough and strong enough to take on blocks and shed them to make plays. So really the complete package when it comes to Dylan Moses, another junior cornerback, Patrick Sertan II, also a potential first-rounder, great size and length, also a good athlete, really has all the physical makings of what you want in a shutdown corner who can win in both press and man coverage. Redshirt sophomore defensive end Christian Barmore may not enter the 2021 draft as 2020 is going to be his first year as an official starter, but he showed plenty of flashes last season as a rotational player, one of the top freshman performers in the entire SEC with legit five technique size. Give us some more on the Bama D, Tony. You know, off the 2018 film, if you go back and read my stuff uh, last summer, the summer of 2019, Dylan Moses was actually my number one rated prospect uh, on Alabama over Tua. Now, obviously, Tua is the quarterback. He's going to be drafted first. But when you look at a guy who was NFL-ready, a guy that was a plug-and-play type of uh, the, uh, prospect, someone you could use in a variety of systems or a variety of linebacker positions, Dylan Moses checked all those boxes. You know, as you pointed out, he's big enough and strong enough to stack the run. He's fast enough to run down ball handlers in pursuit. He plays smart, tough, disciplined football. He shows a lot of skill and coverage. It's unfortunate the knee injury put him on the sidelines all, all season. I didn't change my grade on him, although there's the vaunted M next to his grade for medical. So we're just going to have to see how he returns. I mean, it was a preseason knee injury. It wasn't an injury in October, November. So he's that far ahead. You know, if he gets back to playing form, Dylan Moses is absolutely a first-round pick. Sertain, there are some scouts who I spoke with who grade underclassmen who love Sertain. They've already stamped him as a mid-first-round pick. I think he's a first-rounder when you look at him from the physical skills, you look at his size and his speed, you look at the, the nastiness in his game, you look at the physicality of his game. I still think he needs to really brush up on his ball skills. He's one of those guys that really struggles making plays with his back to the ball rarely gets his head back around, does a lot of face guarding, and he relies on his size and strength to break up passes. Barmore's got terrific uh, size and speed numbers. He's a force, someone that could eventually grow into defensive tackle. And let me say this about Alabama. You know, I, while I don't talk about them or don't publicly grade them, they got a host of true sophomores or players that are going to be true sophomores this year. Shane Lee, the linebacker, Christian Harris, the linebacker, Jordan Battle, the uh, safety. These guys are going to be sensational prospects, you know, moving forward. So if you've got four guys from uh, Alabama who are going to be selected in the first round this year and then an early uh, second round pick in Najee Harris, <laughs> they're just going to be able to – these true sophomores are just going to fill their spots and they're going to be top prospects that we speak – Chris and I are speaking about in the summer of 2021 as we go head towards the 2022 draft. It's unbelievable – the recruiting, and the way it, it's just a, a bottomless pit for Alabama as far as talent's concerned. Moving on from Alabama to a team that no one would call a bottomless pit of talent, and that is the Arkansas Razorbacks. Two draft selections in April, 20 over the past six seasons, so certainly not a nobody when it comes to the NFL draft, but that's about two years' worth of Alabama players. And really, Arkansas might have some trouble even getting multiple selections in 2021, but there is an outside chance of them putting their fourth top 100 pick since 2015 into the draft. And that's senior offensive tackle, Myron Cunningham, the first year starter at left tackle in 2019 
after transferring from junior college. He's tall and strong in pass protection, a little bit light, but definitely has the skill set to stick long-term on the left side. Running back Rakeem Boyd, scouts like him as a guy, as a draftable player late on the third day, performed well as a feature back in 2019, had over 1,000 yards rushing, good size, a decent receiver as well. Tony, I know you're not quite as big of a fan of Boyd as some scouts are, though. No, you know, he's got average size. He's got average speed. When I watch him, he runs very tall, which is not a good thing. Uh, you can take a lot of hits. you got to really secure the ball when you run tall. You know, I, I've seen him graded as early as, you know, fifth round. I have him as a free agent just because there's really nothing that stands out about his game to me, plus the fact I don't like his running style. I do like Myron Cunningham. I grade him as a fourth rounder. Uh, some scouts have him as early as a mid-third round choice. As you said, excellent length, good size, good athleticism, solid footwork, a guy who's got a high upside as he fills out his frame and, and just physically matures. He should just become a better player. Blocks with terrific techniques, good knee bend, uses his hands well. So I, th- I, I like his, I like him as a player now. I like him his upside. Also got to talk about Felipe Franks, the uh, Florida transfer, uh, the big gunslinger. Terrific size, six foot six, 235 pounds. I grade him as a uh, free agent. There are some scouts who think he could sneak into the uh, third day of the draft, the, the day, day three of the draft, which I think is absolutely possible, but he's got to pull it together and he's got to consistently play at a high level. Now the third team, that starts with letter A in the SEC, the Auburn Tigers, six draft picks this past year, the same as 2019, and they have 20 overall selections over the last four drafts. And they also have eight straight drafts with a top 100 pick. And that streak actually may come to an end next April, as there's just one player right now with a top 125 grade on Tony's board. And that player is junior wide receiver Seth Williams. 59 catches, 830 yards, and eight touchdowns as a sophomore. After 26 catches for 534 yards and five scores as a true freshman, he uses his height and his frame to make plays down the field and also in contested situations, but might be limited in terms of his NFL upside just due to a general lack of speed. Fellow junior safety, Jamie and Sherwood, good size and speed, can make plays downhill and also in coverage. Hasn't been a starter his first two seasons at Auburn, but he's going to get an opportunity this year. But Tony, why such a thin board for Auburn this year overall? Well, I think because other top players left last year. Obviously, you know, you had Derek Brown, the senior, and you had so many underclassmen who basically walked out the door. Uh, guys, uh, Noah Igbignoni, who was a, a first-round pick, a couple of the other guys who were early second-round picks. So I, I think it was just a situation where some bad recruiting co- coupled with un- a lot of underclassmen who walked out the door is going to leave Auburn potentially bare in the first three rounds of the draft. Uh, scout, you know, you talked about Seth Williams and Jamie and Sherwood. There are some scouts who think that both of those guys could slide into the late part of day three of the draft, which I would agree. Right now, I got Williams as a, a fourth round pick. Terrific football player. Excellent size. Someone who just seemed to get better and better last year the more he played. Uh, a big target, but as you said, not the fastest guy in the world. Although he's a good vertical receiver. He just doesn't have the great speed. Uh, not, not a guy that's going to uh, consistently hit the home run, but it's just a solid all-around receiver. Sherwood is more the athlete who has to learn to become the football player. He also has good size for a safety, 6'1", 205. He plays fast in the four fours. It's just a matter of him getting more playing action, kind of hesitates at times. I question his instincts, but 
you know, they had they were deep at safety last year. They were deep in the secondary uh, overall at Auburn last year, as we saw in the draft. So Sherwood is a guy that will be uh, counted on this year. Keep an eye on the receiver, Anthony Schwartz. Uh, he's a smaller guy, but he's swift. He's an explosive guy. He's got that big play speed that Seth Williams doesn't have, and he's also a good return specialist. Now we'll get to a few more SEC teams in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that is so complicated, you never use it. And that is exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your home 24-7. And Lord knows I need something that's simple. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Even Tony can do it. Yeah, we think, we hope so. Uh, I'll have to try it out. But head to simplysafe.com forward slash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. Now taking a look at the Florida Gators, seven draft picks back in April, 25 total over the past four drafts, and a lot of top 35 picks. For next April, though, that does seem unlikely, although junior tight end Kyle Pitts could prove that statement false with a breakout season after he had a 54-catch, 649-yard, 5-TD line in 2019. Pitts is an athletic seam stretcher who just needs to iron out his game a little bit, but as we know, tight ends do take a while to develop, and they don't always declare early either, meaning Pitts could be more of an early day two prospect in 2022 than in 2021. Fellow pass catcher and senior wide receiver Trayvon Grimes has great height and a well above average frame. Not the athlete that Pitts is, but he's also no slouch physically either. And with five of Florida's top seven pass catchers from 2019 all now in the NFL, besides Grimes and Pitts, there's really a lot of room for those two to improve their numbers and really get on more NFL radars. Senior safety Sean Davis, player who really stands out on defense, scouts love him and give him a day two grade, despite the fact that he lacks great size and speed. 51 tackles, three interceptions in his first year as a starter last season. But, Tony, you're pretty lukewarm on Davis's NFL prospects. Why is that? Yeah, I gave him a fifth-round grade. And there were some scouts I've spoken with who think right now he's a uh, late fifth-round prospect. You know, he's got average size. He's got average speed. He's more of a downhill between-the-tackles type of safety. He's not a guy that shows great range. He's got a good head for the ball. He's constantly around the action. He plays physical football. But for a safety to be a second-day pick as far as I'm concerned, he better run real fast. He better cover the pass real fast. He better be able to play over the slot receiver, show great sideline to sideline range. And I don't see that from Davis, which is why I grade him as a uh, fifth-round choice. Kyle Pitts, uh, as well as Troy Grimes, I agree. uh, Trevon Grimes, I agree with you. I mean, uh, Florida had, what, four receivers on their depth chart last year that were guys who were draftable late-round prospects. Uh, the one kid uh, went in the second round to the L.A. Rams. Uh, you know, this year it should be wide open for him. Pitts is a tremendous athlete. He shows flashes of brilliance. What he's got to do is be more consistent. He's got to be more of a big play guy during the important moments of the game. He's got the ability, but I think right now Pitts is a solid football player and a real good athlete. He's got to match that football talent with that athleticism, which in my opinion is just the opposite with Grimes. I think Grimes is a real good football player. He's got outstanding size, 
We'll see what happens this year with him being uh, the number one guy. Got to talk about the uh, their quarterback, Kyle Trask. I grade him as a six-rounder. I've seen scouts go anywhere from fifth round to uh, the seventh round with him. Just a smart, tough quarterback, more of a game manager, not a guy that's going to carry the offense on his shoulders, but someone who protects the ball and someone who I think will get the most out of Pitts as well as Grimes this year. Also want to see if uh, safety Brad Stewart uh, steps to the forefront. He was a guy who I liked a lot off the 2018 film. He was suspended for the first four games. I think it was four games of the 2019 season. Kind of looked, played uninspired football. Went from on my board from a potential third, fourth rounder to a free agent. Opportunity will be there for him this year to uh, start and show what he's got. Now, after a strange 2017 draft that saw only one Georgia player drafted, the Bulldogs have had 20 selections the last three years, including seven in April, much more like we're used to seeing from them. Six of those picks played offense and circling back to that side of the ball for the 2021 draft, junior center Trey Hill is kind of an anomaly in some ways. He moves extremely well laterally and into the second level. He's excellent in space, especially for a 315 pounder, but he could use some more strength at the point, which could easily come soon considering his size and the fact that he has two more years of eligibility remaining and development. Former Wake Forest quarterback Jamie Newman comes to the Bulldogs as a graduate transfer. He certainly isn't going to make the impact former Georgia quarterback Justin Fields would have this season. But that aside, Newman has good size and arm strength, throws well on the move. He's not an electric athlete, but he does pick up yardage with his legs when he needs to, when he's forced out of the pocket. Uh, Fellow transfer quarterback JT Daniels from USC was actually recently ruled eligible. But assuming the season does kick off in the fall rather than the spring, Daniels just isn't going to have enough time to get up to speed. He might not be better than Newman anyway. But we really should expect Newman to fully be under center this season for Georgia. And Tony, I know you're a big fan of his game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grade him much higher than scouts. I got him as a second, third round choice. And there was some uh, discussion that he may, may was going to enter last year's draft. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise when he decided to transfer uh, from uh, Wake Forest, especially since Wake Forest still has some of their top weapons there. Good size, as you said, NFL arm a guy who can make plays in or out of the pocket. Problem with Jamie Newman is he needs to be more consistent with his accuracy. He needs to really improve his pass placement because sometimes he's all over the place with throws, and that is why scouts grade him anywhere from a mid-fourth-round choice to a sixth-round pick. I just think it's, it's a matter of coaching, fundamentals, and better competition and better, uh, better players to throw to, which you'll have, or a better offense, which you'll have at Georgia. And, and, and you know, it's funny because – you talked about Trey Hill. I mean, Jamie Newman going to uh, Georgia this year, despite the fact they lost, what, four offensive linemen. The, the two offensive tackles went in the first round. The guard went in the, uh, uh, went in, the middle of the, in the middle of the draft. They also lost their starting guard, their other guard, but they bring back uh, their center, Trey Hill, who was terrific. I mean, he is a guy who looks like a dancing bear. He's explosive. He's smart. He's an enjoyable guy to watch on film. He's good at the line of scrimmage. He's better in motion. Like you said, he's a bit of an enigma and an anomaly. He's a guy who's 320 pounds, but he doesn't maul opponents. That's not necessarily a bad thing because he takes advantage of his agility and athleticism to get out to the second level and knock uh, defenders from the action. I got Hill right now graded as uh, a second-round pick. Uh, The way I see it right now, although I'm not done with all my film work, 
when the season starts, he's probably going to be graded as either my number one or number two center. Now, two second-day linebackers headline the Georgia defense, senior Monty Rice and redshirt sophomore Aziz Ojolari. Rice was the team's leading tackler with 89 stops in 2019. Good range in instincts, an excellent athlete with cover skills as well, while Ojolari might have the higher upside than Rice. He impacts the game a bit more as a pass rusher, six tackles for loss, five and a half sacks in 2019. Good strength and athleticism. Obviously, the production isn't quite what Rice's is, and maybe that continues for one more season with both of them still on the roster. But if Ojolari is back in 2021, he should see those numbers rise and potentially his draft grade as well. Obviously, in addition to these two linebackers, Georgia really has a ton of third-day prospects in the secondary and on the D-line, kind of comparable to the quantity of players on offense that they put into last year's draft. So, Tony, break it all down for us. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia's defense – Anyway, it's one of those situations where, you know, I, I watched like six or seven games and I really wasn't able to get a handle on some of these guys because there are so many of them, especially in the secondary. Let's go on. The, let's get to Mont, Monty Rice. He's a Roquan Smith type of player. He's a small, very explosive run and chase linebacker who's smart, who's instinctive, who's very tough, willingly throws his uh, pads all around uh, the, the uh, field to make plays. I have him graded as a second rounder. I know there are some scouts that have him as a top 45 pick. There are other scouts who are looking at him as a mid third round choice. But as we've mentioned time and time again, he's what a lot of teams want. or A lot of uh, scouts want these days in linebackers, a little bit small, but fast and swift. Ojulari, I think is a guy that I am basing my second round grade on what I project for him in the future. More times than not, when I watched the uh, Georgia tape, he was coming out of a three point stance but he's got good size. He's very strong for his, uh, his size at 235 pounds. I, I've seen him stand up offensive lineman. He's an explosive guy. I think as a third year sophomore, it's just a situation where he needs more playing time. He needs more experience, but I love his upside. I think he's could eventually develop into a three down linebacker who could also be used on the blitz, which he does pretty well out of a three point stance uh, for Georgia. There are a lot of scouts who absolutely love Davis Daniel, uh, the cornerback. Some grade him as a uh, top 45 pick, others as an early third round choice. I like him. I have him right now graded as a fourth rounder. He's got decent size speed numbers, but he reminds me too much of DeAndre Baker in the sense that he never gets his head back around to locate the pass in the air. He's always playing the receiver's hands. He's always face guarding. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll have to see what the upcoming season holds. Uh, you know, I like his physical skills. I just think his ball skills need a lot of work. And then you got to keep an eye on Richard LeCount, a guy who's been a good player the past two years, 5'10 and a half, 190 pounds, the safety. He's good against the run, although he's a little bit small, but he's got terrific ball skills. He goes sideline to sideline. He's someone that you can line up over the slot receiver, and he's not going to be a liability. You can play him in zone. You can play him in man. And he's always looking to get uh, to uh, intimidate opponents and take the ball handler's head off. I have him as an early fourth round choice. I know there are some scouts who think the account could break into the third round next April. Now our final team here is the Kentucky Wildcats. And after a two year draft drought, had six selections over the past two events, including two in 2020. And all six of those players were top 125 picks as well. And a couple underclassmen fit that bill for the Wildcats. Again, looking ahead to 2021, Junior safety Yusuf Corker 
74 tackles as a first-year starter last season. The physical tools really aren't overly impressive for Corker, but he's a smart player who always finds himself around the ball. On the other side of the spectrum, Richard sophomore tight end Keaton Upshaw is a guy whose physical tools are very impressive. He only had seven catches for 78 yards and one touchdown as a freshman in 2019, though. Still might play second fiddle at tight end to senior Justin Rigg this year. Rigg only had 11 catches last year, though, so he's not the most dynamic player. So there is room for Upshaw here, and he's a good athlete, really fits that basketball player mold that you always see at the tight end position. Tony, I know that he's somebody that you are quite a bit higher on than scouts. Yeah, no one talks about Keaton Upshaw, and I have him graded as a third-round uh, prospect. I'm either going to look like a genius or a total fool. <laughs> I have to wait and see what happens. Uh, Keaton Upshaw, to me, is, is like uh, the, the tight end comparison of uh, Aziz Olajari, of Georgia, who I talked about. My high grade on him is based on my projection as to what I think he's going to be. As you just mentioned, you know, the production was not great, but when you watch the film, you see this guy who's six foot five, almost 240 pounds, streaking down the field, consistently creating mismatches. It's just that he has to have the ball thrown in his direction more, and he's got to pick up his production. Love his physical skills. You know, go back to what I said about the, uh, about Kyle Pitts of uh, Florida. Pitts is a better football player, but he's an athlete, a really good athlete who has to merge the two. Two, I think Keaton Upshore is not as good as a football player as Pitts right now, but he's a sensational athlete, and he's got to change. He's got to uh, translate that athleticism into football ability. You know, you're right about what you said with Yusef Corker in the sense that he's a real good football player. He's good against the pass. He's tough against the run. When I saw him on film. I, th- I thought I was watching a guy that would, would run in the mid four fives. Now I spoke to somebody today that said, Yusef Corker is going to test off the charts. He's a track guy in high school. He's going to run a lot faster for the 40 than he looks on film. So I've got Corker right now graded as a fourth round pick. If he tests the way uh, he's expected to, according to the person I spoke with today, he's someone that could really make a big move up draft boards. Kentucky also has two offensive linemen to keep an eye on. Darian Kennard, the third-year junior, who I, I've given a, a fifth-round grade. Landon Young, who we spoke about a year ago, who has struggled with injuries at times, did consider entering last year's draft. I gave him a six-round grade. There are some scouts who think he's a, a fifth-round uh, type of a prospect. And then keeping an eye on their big man in the center of the defensive line, Quinton Bohanna, six foot four, 350 pounds, Basically, your natural, prototypical nose tackle, a space eater, a gap occupier. I have him as a six-rounder. There are scouts who like him a lot more. I just wish he was in better shape and made more plays on the football. And that's it for the 146th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, and we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back again next week to break down the rest of the SEC. But in the meantime, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.